0: Hey everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed the summer or what's left of it. We're technically still in the summer season and I'm actually starting season five of my podcast, season five, five years, literally five years this September of my podcast. um, A little bit early this year, just because I'm splitting season five into two parts. So welcome to season five, part five, a, this is the first part of season, the first half of season five. And I'll be back. Um, I'm going to wrap up here probably with you guys about mid to late November. And then we're going to come back at the end of January in 2023 to do the second part of the fifth season. Lots of stuff is going on with me right now. I am in dissertating dissertation, trying to get everything taken care of with that so that I can get up out of here and finish this chapter of my life by next year. Hopefully, if I can, by May. If not some point next year I just I'm ready to be done ready to wrap up this chapter of my life but um thank you guys for continuing to tune in with me and I really want to dive into what we're going to be doing for five uh season five this first part of season five is dedicated all to Dorothy Roberts and her groundbreaking book Killing the Black Body um on June 24th I believe it was June 24th Literally a couple of days after Beyoncé released Break My Soul, which was so fitting for the summer based on some of the different shit that happened this summer. But um, on June 24th, a six to three ruling came out of the Supreme Court saying that they had officially overturned Roe versus Wade on the federal level. And now states have the capacity and the ability to essentially regulate the legality of abortion. And women's bodily autonomy, ultimately, um, at the state level. And southern states, many southern states, many states that are controlled by the Republican Party, wasted no time um, in getting rid of reproductive justice protections that have been in place for the past 50 years almost for women. Um, This is really scary. It's a scary time to live in as a young woman. Scary time to be raising a daughter in. Scary if you, I mean, if you give a damn about women in any capacity, people who give birth, this is some scary stuff that's going on right now. Um, It feels very weird and regressive, especially talking to people and activists and advocates that have been doing this work for decades. It feels very regressive. We knew this day was coming in many ways because when Donald Trump got elected into office, that's that was you know that was the T. he put in place three different supreme court justices and the conservative block of the supreme court now had the votes needed to rule down and to overturn roe versus wade um let's get into it so reproductive justice as a black woman is always really interesting to talk about because literally from the time black women entered into the western hemisphere um we have had limited, sometimes in some instances, we didn't have any bodily autonomy. Um, and, and in other instances, that, that power and that agency that we have over our bodies has very much so fluctuated in different ways. Um, it's been interesting to kind of research this as I'm reading Dorothy Roberts, *Cleaning the Black Body, and how she breaks the book down into seven different chapters. And in each chapter, she discusses something different. That's how I'm going to structure the podcast. I'm doing six podcasts for the first part of season five and they're all going to be structured around this book so the very first chapter which is what we're going to discuss today is about the history of what has taken place with black women um coming into the western hemisphere first and foremost as women in bondage um on slave ships shackled um you know what took place during the 300 years that black women were enslaved legally enslaved the chattel property of white owners um it's as you're reading this book and as you're diving, if you choose to, to dive into it, I want you to just just say this, first and foremost, this is not light reading. This is not reading that is going to necessarily like, like, yes, it'll be yes in a way of like revealing maybe information that you maybe didn't know before. But it really she does a brilliant job of like peeling back the layers of what reproductive justice has really meant for black women in this country. Um, but that first chapter talks all about slavery, so let's dive into it. First things first, um, black women have a very unique and complex existence within the white patriarchal system. Um, when black women came over to this country, into this country, uh, to North America, South America, Central America, Our first experiences were coming over here literally in shackles and chains as slaves. So from the very gate, we are the property of others, meaning every single thing about us is regulated down from when we get to rest, what type of food we get to eat, what we wear. The very basic freedoms that black women had upon entering into the Western Hemisphere are controlled by outside forces, um, sanctioned by the state, which is ultimately at this point in time controlled by property owning european men um that being said black women they're very reproductive nature and this is this is very important to say because anybody who studies women anybody who studies reproductive justice if you call yourself a scholar of feminism you need to read this book and you need to be very very in tune with the dialogue and the conversations that are taking place in this book When we talk about reproductive justice, you absolutely need to center Black women because our very existence in America has been the absence of bodily autonomy. So when Black women get to this country, our very reproductive organs are controlled by this capitalistic system wherein our children are born the property of someone else to be done away with disposed sold off however that person sees fit um in anything you know our ability first and foremost our labor belongs to someone else so our ability to be able to produce enough cotton or you know whatever cash crop was popular during the five whatever five you know there were five different generations of slavery first and foremost so there are those cash crops it wasn't always cotton at some points it was tobacco at some points it was rice it was indigo it was different things sugar sugar plantations were huge in the west indies south america central america not so much here in america but um like in north america but depending on what generation what geographical region you're talking about i'm specifically focusing on american women because much of the history of chattel slavery in america is very unique. It differs even from the slavery that took place in the West Indies and Central America and South America. So as I'm going through this podcast, I want to be very clear that I'm talking about black women here in America. So that being said, um, our very reproductive capacity is tied to somebody else. Our bodies, our very bodies, before we ever even have children, our labor, our very existence is controlled and tied to the financial interests of other parties outside of our initial communities, outside of our immediate families, outside of our villages, right? So that being said, black women enter this entire hemisphere without any, any sort of bodily autonomy, unless they're doing like, and I want to say, like, I want to be clear, without that bodily autonomy, that doesn't. that's not to say that black women along this journey are not exercising different forms of agency because that absolutely is happening. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So first things first, um, I broke this down into different areas. So I want to just kind of like, give you guys a roadmap, because I know my podcasts are pretty academic. And I know not everybody is, you know, has a strong academic interest. But I do want you guys to have, um, you know, a little bit of a roadmap of what I'm going to be talking about. And I am outside actually recording this podcast, if you hear something, i just want to say you know it is what it is there's there's lots of stuff going on around me so black women in the western the western hemisphere already lacking full bodily autonomy we actually came here unfree and we would suffer under this system of unfreeness lacking liberty for nearly 300 years um in not having bodily autonomy that means several things first and foremost is a very long and documented history of black women being raped by slave owners and by overseers the reason we need to start here and the reason we really need to talk about this particularly is because so many black women were being raped by their white masters and their weight their white overseers that nearly 10 percent of the slave population were actually mixed race people what does this mean first and foremost it muddies how rights are going to be distributed to black people in this country it also muddies what is considered like you know it creates this hierarchy within black you know communities and societies where light-skinned people are um in some ways given more power more social mobility more social capital than their darker counterparts but also this was happening so much, these black women are being raped so, mu- so much by their, their overseers and their masters that southern states begin to put in place laws. I think Virginia was the first place to do it. It was either Virginia or South Carolina was the first place to put in, uh, were the first places to put in place laws that said any children, children will, will inherit the status of their mothers. This is how often black women are being raped by their masters and overseers. Um, And this is not like we need to be clear about how we talk about rape as well too. rape is not this is not, you know, these men had these strong sexual desires and couldn't keep couldn't keep their hands off of black women. I'm sure there's some of that going on, too. But rape is ultimately power. Um, And in this particular instance, we're talking about chattel slavery in African-American women. This power when these women are being raped by their masters and their overseers. It serves several different purposes, which Dorothy Roberts outlines in this book. First things first, it serves the purpose of instilling greater fear within black communities so that there are not rebellions. It subjugates the black community to being like, hey, look how terrible we are. Y'all keep acting up. We'll rape and kill all these women. Maybe their children, too. Um, And then the other purpose that it serves is that, of course, after Virginia and South Carolina passed these laws, that the children born the children the children inherit their mother's status and then of course later on comes like these one drop rules so you know no matter what if the child is black one drop of black blood means that child is black first and foremost but if they also inherit the status of their mothers they are also slaves they are born into slavery which means that before these children ever even come into the world they are already slaves they are already chattel they are already considered to be the property of somebody else. Now, this is interesting because this even gets more interesting. Let's continue on with this line of thought. Um, In some instances, in some southern states, they would actually put in place like uh, Dorothy Roberts outlines in part, I think it was either in the introduction or, or, or maybe in chapter one. She outlines that if there would literally be like, People would leave behind wheels, like people who own slaves, slave owners, slave masters would leave behind wheels. And they would be like, This woman, you know, is my slave. Here are her, here are how her children are supposed to be delegated to my relatives, my surviving relatives, but also any other children that she may birth. So, literally, I said before these children are born, literally before any of some of these children are even conceived, if these women, these slave women, were even to have future children later on in the future, their children are already delegated to somebody else. That is so wild to me. And it really encapsulates how black women had absolutely no autonomy or say over their children, over their bodies. None of it. None of it. Um, let's move on. Black women are also forced. They were, I mean, their historians and scholars argue on how often this actually took place. But there are instances where. Say there was a slave man that was considered to be very physically fit. And there was a slave woman, enslaved woman who was considered to be very physically fit. They would be forced to breed together to have children. And if they didn't have sex, they would be punished, beaten, whipped. Um, There were instances, I I read about this in the chapter, the first chapter. Some instances where if women refused to, um, to have sex with whoever was chosen for them to have sex with, they would sell away a few of their kids as punishment. So once again really encapsulating how black women have no real power underneath this system, no real systemic power that is. Um God. You know, then let's talk about the auction block cuz the auction block is also a thing. Then being forced to to breed and literally like they're being these rumors. Some of this is true. Uh, like i said historians and scholars disagree on how often and how widespread this actually was but literally breeding farms so literally women and men put together to just like hey have sex get pregnant um and then also these reward systems so like there were actually like a lot of there were systems in place where for some slave women if they had enough children they could earn their freedom Or if they had enough children, they would be given rewards like extra food rations, extra clothing, extra firewood. Um, Literally a system in which these women do not have the most basic things that they're supposed to have. Okay, Um, And they're being rewarded with these things because they're having more children, which serves in the economic interests ultimately of their masters um i really want to talk about because we need to get into this a little bit later on too but like how many of these enslaved women conceptualize motherhood from the very beginning they're told they don't have any control over their bodies they're also told that they have like motherhood doesn't exist for enslaved black women how can it you have no say over your children your children could be sold away at a moment's notice they can be completely stripped away from you you have no real say And what's taking place with your children. Um, So let's move into the auction block. Children are sold away, obviously, for financial reasons. They're also sold away to institute control over enslaved communities to instill fear. If you don't comply, if you don't do this, we're going to take your children. We're going to sell them away from you. Um, And once again, saying to black women sanctioned by the state, like this is, you know, this is by the state, by per the law. You have no real say over your children under no circumstances um you have no say over when you are when you conceive your children who you conceive them with you have no say in how you're able to take care of yourself because many of these women many of them miscarried children because they were being worked to death in the fields um once their children were actually born many slave children died from malnourishment and from failure to thrive because they could not be taken care of one of the saddest stories in this book is these young slave girls had all had babies. They had to go to the field to pick cotton. They dug up a trough, like a big hole, um, and put their babies in the hole so they could check on them throughout the day. At some point, they were so far away from the children in the cotton field that it started raining. The trough filled up with water, and all of those children, these babies, these brand new newborn beautiful black babies, drowned to death. I was in tears as I read that. I could not handle that. Um, The thought, you know, the thought, just the thought. The thought of that is ridiculous. It is heartbreaking. It's disgusting. Um, But the auction block was essentially a symbol of like, once again, how capitalism ties into these various different ideas about what freedom means and what these black women really ultimately could do and what you know the ultimate say they really had about because reproductive justice isn't just about abortion it is about and we keep saying this i think it's very important to say it's also about the conditions in which you're able to birth your child the quality of life that you have that you have while you're pregnant that you're able to provide for your child once your child is born none of which was granted to black women this is why it's so important that we center them in this conversation about reproductive justice um you know black women are having their reproductive rights these enslaved black women are having their reproductive rights stripped away from them literally at every single turn here's where we get into some of the more exciting agency parts i say exciting not exciting because in the sense like this is like i baby our, our ancestors they survived through trauma that is unspeakable unspeakable trauma um But let's talk about the agency that many of these women exhibited. So first and foremost, um, this is ancient knowledge. If you don't want to have a baby, there are herbs, there's all sorts of stuff that you can take to prevent pregnancy and to also naturally induce miscarriages or abortions. Slave women did that all the time. A lot of the time they did this when they knew that they didn't. I mean, a lot of a lot of this is literally agency because they did not want to birth children into slavery like no i'm not having i'm not having you know a baby and boring them into slavery i'm not doing that also um in the same vein many women would do this and this was also a direct kick to this patriarchal capitalistic system where said that says you know black women your children are only valuable for the financial gain of white men and white women many of them also did that Um, Many of them, especially if they were raped by masters and overseers and their masters or overseers wives were somewhere near, did not want their children to be abused by those women when they were finally were, you know, birthed into the world. Um, Because that happened a lot too. white women are not innocent in this whole entire thing. They were complicit in many ways to the same system, even though they suffered their own abuses and um, oppression. But they were also, you know, in many ways complicit to what white men were doing and many of them one of the leading causes of divorce back then during these five generations of slavery is that these black women um you know were being raped by their masters having all these little kids and their wives these masters these slave masters their wives and daughters and families would be walking around looking at these light-skinned kids like what the fuck is going on and then finally be realizing oh my god he's been having sex with one of the, one of these enslaved women and being like no nah, like i'm about to divorce you and that's one of the that was one of the leading causes of divorce in the american south during the time of slavery is that these white women are like steadily realizing oh my god he's literally out here visiting the slave cabin at night raping women what the fuck um really really wild stuff really crazy um many you know and uh, you have to think about how powerful that is to be like I'm not having this baby I'm not I'm not having this child I'm not going to birth this child into slavery I'm not going to um you know be a, be complicit to this this system that has denied me my most basic human rights has denied my, my parents, my grandparents, everybody who looks like me, their most basic human rights. That's really powerful to think about. That's really, really powerful. That's something that should definitely be considered. Like, it's very serious and important that we say that at no point where black people, like, you know, you have people, crazy, ignorant-ass, people who know nothing about history, um, saying these really wild-ass things, like, like slavery is a choice and shit. No, shit was not a choice. Choices were made within the system of slavery to ensure our survival. And we need to all be thankful that our our families, our ancestors did that so that our bloodlines would continue to live on without criticizing them for dealing with very extreme trauma in the very best way that they knew how. Um, you know, many of these women, when, when men... Would try to come rape them. They would beat their abusers up. And they would buy whatever whatever whipping I'm going to take. you going to sell me. They would just gladly take it. As opposed to. Continuing to let their bodies. Be violated. And that's interesting as well too. <sighs> We're getting close to, to wrapping up. Um. Not to mention my most favorite way of of, of exhibiting agency and exhibiting power. Many women, but you know, being a mother is interesting. And this is why I spent all last season podcasting about motherhood. Um, Many of these women couldn't run away because they're mothers. Many of them did not run away because they were mothers, right? Um, And then on the opposite side many of them refused to run away unless they could take their children with them and many of them did run away with their children successfully and I don't think we talk about those stories enough um but that is the glimmer of hope in a very traumatic topic is that a lot of these women were able to actually get away with their kids and I thought that was dope I thought that was really exciting I thought that was really powerful you know um This is part one of season five, the first episode, season 5A, episode one. I can't wait to really dive into this with you guys again. And I hope that you have an awesome day and that you'll tune in again with me in two weeks. Have a good one.